So welcome, 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 so welcome. No stupid, stupid questions. Hello, Hello everybody. This week's up, up, folks. It's for real. With T-Leak like, and Jay. Like a dungeon drag. What's up? No, no specific <laughs> order. No stupid questions. So <laughs> can we curse on this show? Do whatever it's we feel. Real. Time okay. is a question for today. No. Wow, wow, like All right. Stupid. So, question. No stupid questions. Jack. No stupid questions. Welcome to this episode. Of My first question is, who are you? No stupid questions. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the No Stupid Questions show. The show where we have two smart people. And one stupid question, or so we thought. And some of us are eager people, too. <laughs> T-Leak is eager today. So, T-Leak, how you feeling? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited about this special edition of the show. Special edition. So, tell the people what this special edition is going to bring. Well, I've been learning something new every day, and I think we both talked about a couple things that we've been learning. And as, as I've been diving deeper into this whole black history, in this moment in history and this will be a special did you know okay okay uh, that's a, that is a, that's a stupid question because some people think well i know you knew okay uh some people are like no didn't know so we're gonna do did you know this is a special black history slash liberation month edition but look for us to do this more through the year and I think it's interesting because part of the inspiration for this is from the originator of Black History Month, Carter G. Woodson. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about, and this is from the organization that he started, the Association for the Study of Previously Negro, now African-American Life and History. So it was established in 1915. This is one of the did you knows when... He died in 1950, but he believed that what he established as really Negro History Week, so it was a week, and it was Negro at the time, was that those weekly celebrations would eventually come to an end. And that was because he, as, as the quote says, never viewed Black history as a one-week affair, never viewed it as a one-month affair. He was pressing for the schools that he was working with to use what was Negro History Week at the time to demonstrate what students had learned all year. He had established a Black Studies Extension Program to reach adults, and the idea was that Black people would learn about their history on a daily basis, and he actually looked forward to the time when an annual celebration would no longer be necessary. So in that spirit, we're going to continue to do Did You Know? But we are going to focus on, uh, certainly this month, Black History and Black History Month, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Jag, what you what you got? We'll we'll trade did you knows. Okay. So my did you know has to do with the bus boycotts. And everyone talks about Rosa Parks and we all love Rosa Parks and for what she did in the bus boycotts. But being a good Louisiana boy, I have to go back to the first successful bus boycott, which happened in 1953 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, wow. Louisiana. Um, Shout out. And, and, and that is considered the first civil rights bus boycott when black citizens united and decided that they would no longer sit on the back of the bus. And they actually boycotted from June 19th 
to June 24th and brought the Baton Rouge bus system to its knees and made them compromise and racially segregated public transportation. And that inspired the Montgomery bus boycott and the story that everyone knows about Rosa Parks. So what was the outcome? The outcome was that they had basically separate buses. The outcome was that they, they no longer had the separate, but the segregate, they no longer had to sit on the back of the bus. They, they had, they desegregated the buses. Oh, they desegregated. Okay. I didn't yes. know. I thought maybe, I thought you were saying now the whole buses were segregated. I was like, oh, okay. No, they desegregated the buses. <laughs> okay. All right. Happy ending. Yay. Yeah. Happy ending. <laughs> I guess that's a happy ending. That's what they were shooting for. Yes. But you know, even, even going a little further, and I'm not trying to take anything from Rosa Parks, but even in, in Montgomery, there was a bus boycott led by Claudette Colvin, who decided she was not going to adhere to the rules and move to the back of the bus. And it's kind of interesting because she said she felt like she had Sojourner Truth on one side pushing her down and Harriet Tubman on the other side pushing her down. So there was no way that she was going to get up when she was told to move to the back of the bus. Mm. But she was not the poster child that Rosa Parks was. I mean, Rosa Parks was a leader in the, in the, of the community. She was a secretary she, of the NAACP. Right. She was secretary of the NAACP. Yes. So she made a better front person. But Ms. Claudette Coven did it nine months before Rosa Parks. Yes. So that was March 2nd, 1955. And she was 15. So you so never sounds like you him. had that one in your, you had I, that one I, in your... I, no, I did. I did know about that, but that wasn't that wasn't the one. I, I actually, I was gonna go back because okay. we talked about this How on the far last back? show. Back, back. Go way back. <laughs> and I and I I'm going to add this to our discussion because we one of the other things that is in again this history of Black History Month, and when you talk about the Association for African American Negro Life and Culture, one of the things that was another goal of Carter G. Woodson was that it would be about, Black History Month would be about, not just about people, uh, not just about specific individuals, I should say, but that it would be about the power that we have as a people and the importance of how we work together. And, And interestingly enough, there's a theme for Black History Month every year and this year, about it before it's, it's the black family right and so he believed that history was made by the people not simply or primarily by great men and if you go to the planet and rosa park story women are often <laughs> neglected in the in the history so i do want to go all the way back 4.4 million years ago to be exact <laughs> oh. okay back. so we're just i just want to talk about I think we should celebrate and continue to remember that we have a very long history as people of African descent. When you talk about what we all know as the cradle of civilization, I mean, that is the, the birthplace and it is where we all are sourced from. So I did look up and I know Lucy, for those who remember, was the oldest fossil and Lucy was found in 74 and Lucy was 3.2 million years old. And of course, these are fossils that are found in Africa really creating that connection between folks of African descent and really just the birthplace of humans as we know them today. So to talk about 
anything less is actually madness. But they did found Artie, and I, I find it also very interesting that these were both women. Um, so Artie that, was 1.2 million years older than Lucy? No. She's, yes, 1.2 million years. I'm sorry, I thought you said three. So yes, Lucy was is dated as 3.2 million years old, and Artie is dated as 4.4 million years old. So one million more years. Wow. <laughs> so I just thought that was really, really important to to know about. And so and I want I want you to reemphasize again. Where where was Artie found? Well, so Lucy, as you know, was found in Africa. <laughs> I was gonna ask for the country. <laughs> oh, you you want me to be more specific than that? <laughs> See, now you're making me dig into the, my my, well, it my is, history. It is Ethiopia. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. So Artie was also found in Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yes. All right. Yes. Further um, evidence that that is the the true. That is the. The birthplace of mankind. Yeah, so specifically while surveying a site in the Afar near the village of Aramis, which is 140 miles northeast of Addis Ababa. Okay. 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 Now you went way back. So it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I can't go so any earlier than that. And I just want to note that those were two women that were found. And just as another little did you know, is Artie, they believe actually was again you know these are two fossils that are closer to humans than they are to the monkeys or the apes and and so but they do believe that Artie did walk on four limbs but that her palms were flat on the ground which is it's closer to human because it would be more with weight up and Lucy was a two-footed which walked on two limbs so anyway right. just a, another little side right okay 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 so did you know? I'm gonna go to 20th century BCE before oh, the birth oh, oh, of Christ. Okay. You know, know, a lot of people have heard this name, Imhotep, and mm-hmm. you know they they heard it from. Unfortunately, most people have heard it from the 1932 film The Mummy, because <laughs> Imhotep was the antagonist, and it was also in the 1999 remake and the 2001 sequel, The Mummy Returns, because that was the name of the mummy that was the antagonist in the film but actual Imhotep was a true person and he has probably been a little glorified and deified but one thing that we do know about him was that he was a historical figure that was most likely the architect of the step pyramids in ancient Egypt he was born in Memphis Egypt not Memphis Tennessee if you were to look at those pyramids, those pyramids were obviously amazing structures. We still are mystified about how they were built. Some of the stones that were used in the pyramids came from quarries long ways away, and we're trying to figure out how they moved those stones that far distance and how much time did it take to build these pyramids. Some people even believe that maybe aliens from outer space had to do it because there was no way that this ancient man people did it. But clearly it was done by the Africans in ancient Egypt. And Imhotep was the architect of the Step Pyramid. So, the person I want to shout out to. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, I think that most people, just to kind of come back in that same sort of thinking the same sort of ancient history, 
I gotta give a shout out again to to my my queens, literally. Um, there are, you know, everyone knows of, you know, Nefertiti. That's that's the name that almost everybody always throws around when we talk about queens in Africa. Right. Um, but there were many other queens in the 16th century. There was Queen Amina of Zaria, which was actually in northern Nigeria. Okay. And she was the most powerful ruler of the Hausa Kingdom in Nigeria, Africa. Her brother became king, and she actually was the warrior. She had deadly warrior skills. And so after the death of her brother, of course, she ascended to the throne. And she conquered new territory and basically, you know, she had a strong army. I will say that the one piece of trivia that I did find out is that there was a legend that she would take out the heart of any lover that she had Man, in she the was early cold hours lover. of the morning. Literally. And um, yeah, the thing was that is that she was not interested in the same object twice and that none should kiss and tell and talk about the night they spent with the queen. <laughs> Which I kind of... Are I we glorifying that? I mean, is that a good thing? Or? I know, I know it's cold-blooded, but... <laughs> Men get glorified for very similar things. Not to say that that's right, but I just wanted to. So that's a shout out to Amina Tu, a queen in northern Nigeria in the mid 16th century, 1500s. Okay. So since, <laughs> since we're going to talk about queens, uh, I had no problem talking about queens. But my favorite queen, in the pharaoh of ancient Egypt, was Hapshet Sut, who was the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. And she is often being credited as becoming one of the most powerful rulers of ancient Egypt. If we're going to shout out the queens, I have to shout out the Queen Hatshepsut. So I will say that I did look it up. So pharaohs just, again, did you know, pharaohs are monarchs of Egypt. And the difference between a king or queen and a pharaoh is that there is this belief that they have a divine role. Right. That they are an intermediary between the deities and and the people. So it is it is truly amazing to be dubbed a pharaoh. The history of women, so I gotta, you know, again, gotta stand up for my women here. In no argument for me on that. You could stand Africa up for women. Is, you know, I mean I, I think that there is there is something to celebrate in terms of the I, I think the, the equality that, that existed uh, an opportunity for women to really improve themselves. So, yeah. And okay. just for just for a little more history's sake, um, uh-huh. Hatshepsut was the second f- confirmed pharaoh. First being, and I may mess up the name, but Sobekneferu okay. um, was the first f- female pharaoh in Egypt. And that was around 1500 BC. Okay. All right. I love it. So are, I we love still, it. are we still staying ancient? Or are we what, what are we doing? Where do you want to go next? Is it is it my turn? I think it's your turn. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it forward. I'm gonna bring it forward. I'm bring it forward to another of my women. And I this was so you got to talk about one black male before this show is over with. Okay, I will. I have, okay. I have I have I have okay. I do have something I can talk about. I'll, I'll okay. plug it in there. Okay. <laughs> but it's a woman's world. Go ahead. Let's and go. and you know as a dancer and as as someone who really appreciates 
dance and the what we have brought as uh, again folks of African descent to the world of dance you know we have inspired so much twerking <laughs> that's in our Are we about to talk about the first twerker um <laughs> is that is you going all the way up to that hey you never know you know you might have it's gonna be Is new. <laughs> and that is for sure. As someone who has taken West African and, and a lot of different countries' dances, I will guarantee that most scholars, certainly of African dance, could tell you what dance that dance that is done on the dance floor today looks just like. Yep, yep. So, um, Betty Boop. Anybody oh know my the gosh. cartoon character Betty Boop? You took one of mine. <laughs> oh, I did I? But <laughs> so, I was going to surprise you with that one. Oh, Esther Jones. Esther Jones. Her nickname was? Baby Baby Esther. Baby, all right. You were ready. I was ready. Baby, baby Esther. <laughs> and did you hear about what happened with Betty Boop and who got sued? Well, I know the cartoonist got sued by um, an actress named Helen Kane. Right. But you may have more of the backstory. That's about no, all no, I no. I, that's, no, I, that's what I was going to say. But yeah, it's the fact that this basically white woman sued because she thought that Betty Boop had used her image and her style when the style like Betty Boop. was she actually knows, something she, she adopted from Jones someone body. else. Right. Exactly. She saw Baby Esther perform. That's right. In the late 1920s. And she adopted her style and began using boop, boop in her songs as well. So, Esther, shout out to Esther. So, I hope you got another one in your pocket. Well, I always have a few here. I'm wondering <laughs> if we, we looked up the same stuff there. If we're working off the same list. But since I'm in, in Texas, let's talk about who inspired the Lone Ranger. Oh, okay. Did, Did you, you know? have that one? I don't. <laughs> okay, all right, I got one. So, an African American by the name of Bass Reeves, who was born a slave but escaped to the West during the Civil War and lived what in what was known as Indian Territory at the time. Eventually, became a deputy U.S. marshal and was a master of disguise and expert marksman, and even even had a Native American companion. And guess what color his horse was? He even had a silver. So he is often credited for inspiring the story of the Lone Ranger with his sidekick, Tonto. Mm. So everyone knows that the Wild West, or maybe everyone doesn't know it, but the Wild West was full of, of black folks. Yes, that um, is a did you know, yes. That, that is um, cowboys. Some even people think even the name cowboy is first derogatory, talking about the cow, the black cow hands. And you know how the term boy was used to describe black men at the time. Of course, everyone's proud to be a cowboy now, but the etymology of that seems to be the black cow hands in, in the Wild West. But Bass Reeves is the inspiration that led to the story of the Lone Ranger. So that okay. black mask, did he wear a black mask? I can't remember. Was it black mask or white mask? Anyway, 
actually had black skin. So that that was the beginning of the Lone Ranger story. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you what you asked for it because actually you inspired me. I had read the book The Forty Million Dollar Slave, and there's oh. lots of did you knows in there. And one of the things was that black jockeys we were the oh. first jockeys. Did you have that? I was going to talk about my Louisiana jockeys, but go ahead. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the Kentucky Derby? Well, you know, you, you, I'm going to let you have it. You, <laughs> I, I asked you to talk about some black men, so go ahead and tell us about the, the jockeys. <laughs> well, I'm not, I, I, you know, obviously we did a lot of work as slaves in the stables, right? We cared for and we actually raced the master's horses. And so we, learned a lot about horses just by virtue of the roles that we played. And so we were the first jockeys in those informal races. And then even when it became a formal sport, there was the preponderance of jockeys were black. And as far as the Kentucky Derby is concerned, we dominated the winner circle in the first three decades of that race. So we are the sort of pioneers of the, the Kentucky Derby, as well as the sort of occupation of jockey. All right. So one of the earliest jockeys was Oliver Lewis. Lewis won the Kentucky Derby race in, I think, 10 years after slavery was abolished. He, I think he was the first time he won. It was about 10 years after. And, and actually, the race he won, 13 out of the 15 jockeys were black. So you talk about dominating the sport. And, and, and that was definitely the case. Sports racing is one of the oldest sporting events in America. So from the very beginning of sports in this country, mm-hmm. black folks have, have stood out as top performers. Yes. All right. Your turn. It's on me. It's on you. Okay. So... Who do we want to talk about next? (laughs) I think I want to go to, let's talk about vaccines on everybody's mind, right? So, and hopefully everyone out there is, is lining themselves up and getting on the list as quickly as possible for the COVID vaccine so that we can try to get back to normal life. But do we know, did you know that you can credit vaccinations back to 1706, Onesimus, who was born in Africa, but was a slave in Boston, given to the Puritan church minister, Cotton Mather, by his congregation in 1706. But Onesimus brought back, brought from Africa, the tradition of inoculation practice in Africa by extracting material from an infected person and scratching it on the skin of people who wanted to be protected from the disease. And I think they said putting pus on the open, on open wounds. So you had this one too? <laughs> we think alike. That's I got to find one you didn't have, <laughs> um, but there you go. So, you know, as we scramble to get on these vaccination lists, we can, give a shout out to Onesimus for bringing that concept from Africa. And it was first used for the smallpox, um, inoculating people for smallpox. 
And although it wasn't necessarily accepted by everyone during that time, they had a very good track record of preventing people who were inoculated by this method from, from receiving and dying from smallpox. So Onesimus, I hope right. I'm pronouncing that right. I know, O-N-E-S-I-M-U-S. I didn't know, so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> and, you know, I'll make it up if I don't know how it, it sounds right to me. <laughs> so, All right, so I'm kicking it over to you. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a, a sort of <laughs> group, did you know? As a Zumba instructor, okay. you know, a lot of people talk about its origins uh, in terms of salsa, and merengue, and a variety of what are usually known as Latin dances. And I always correct people and tell them that they're Afro-Latin dances because the origins, similar to the Betty Boop story, the origins of these dances, we talked about this with the, even the common, the twerking, are Afro in nature. So, um, you know, there's samba, which a lot of people associate with Rio de Janeiro, and it actually came from... Bahia, which is to the north, east of Brazil, and it's the port where all the slaves came in. So again, it was something that was taken from that and, and you know, evolved with all of the cultures that were mixing together, but it, it still paid tribute. And I actually found about, about someone that I did not know, Tia, Tia which means Aunt uh, Amata, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Anyway, she was when samba was actually illegal. In a lot of instances, some of the dances that we would do were illegal. She would basically create space for folks who came through Rio at the time to dance. And when they first started doing Rio Carnival, and it, it was popular, the, the parade would always go by her house in tribute to how she kept samba alive. And so Rio wouldn't have the industry that it has today without Black folks. I have to shout out to tango and the African roots of tango because many folks from Argentina will tell you that there's not that many Black folks in Argentina, et cetera. There are many reasons for that. But what was interesting is when I was um, reading some articles about the influence, and I, I have danced tango and my instructor was Afri actually African, and so shout out to him for really teaching me about the, the, and again, tango was one of those things that they borrowed because it was such a sensual dance and they felt like it was just too sexual. And tango actually, tango is a space for dancing. And again, the dance took on that name and it was banned and then it was kind of adopted by the, the larger community. And, you know, people will tell you today still that you, there's a river, the La Plata River, that runs between Uruguay and Argentina. And if you go to the border of that river, that's where you'll find a lot of people dancing much more sort of traditional forms of it. Um, salsa, similarly, you have both the rhythm salsa and the dance salsa, and those are all from the African rhythm song. And um, you can go even further back, and there are candomblé. There's different rhythms that come from African, you can hear them just like you can with the dances. You can see the dances. You can also hear the rhythms in the rhythms that you hear. And, and to be honest, you can hear them in, in R&B songs and, and hip hop songs too. So wow. shout out to all of the pioneers because there's, there's so many that can be named in all of those dances, whether it be sam samba, tango, 
ourselves. And I can go on, but anybody that's ready. Okay. 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 All right. So the next person I want to talk about, well, first I want to talk about some of the things he invented. He basically invented the technology that allowed DVDs and CDs to be possible. And actually, unfortunately, he was not as business savvy as he later became because he made absolutely no money off of that. Mm. And he talks about that as the big fish that got away. But he was a NASA engineer. His name was Lonnie Johnson. Mm. And he ended up making money off of and to the tune of 70 to 80 million off of the super soaker. You know what the super soaker is? <laughs> and he created the technology. I do. I didn't know he created the technology for the CDs and DVDs. And he, he, he was a heck of an engineer. He did wow. create the technology that CDs and DVDs was based off of and did not get paid for that. He had over 30 patents, by the way. But he actually was trying to find a way to cool off engines better and without using Freon. He, he wanted to just use water. And he created a, a device, and one day he propelled the water across the room and was like, wow, this would be great for, for, for a super soaker, for a toy. <laughs> and, um, so on the side, and he's been an inventor his whole life, always tinkering with things. Hmm. But first of all, he was a graduate of Tuskegee University, a nuclear engineer from Tuskegee University, went to work for NASA. Um, but in the early 80s, he, he came up with this super soaker idea. And, and parlayed that into a nice little fortune for himself. And you know, it's a great story of a guy who, who didn't get credit for one invention that would have made him a multimillionaire, but he just kept at it and, and found another one and was very successful as, a, as an engineer and an inventor. So the super soaker, Lonnie Johnson. Okay. All right. Well, I have two more. Okay. I might and... have to let you go back to back because I'm, I'm running out of <laughs> yeah. good stuff here. Well, the first is the Negro Health Week. So we talked about Negro History Week. Okay. And that was actually after, well, I guess actually they were probably about the same time, Negro Health Week. And Negro Health Week was started in 1915. It was intended to because the conditions that we lived in, especially in some of the segregated areas, were really tough in terms of cleanliness, in terms of, and you know, I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have Lysol. <laughs> so one of the things that Negro Health Week was about was about some of the habits that we wanted to make sure we educated all of the, the Negro population at the time uh, about to ensure better health, more hygienic conditions. And so shout out to Booker T. Washington. So the first Negro Health Week was actually at Tuskegee. So I think you see a pattern here. <laughs> Great institution. Um, yes. And, and it, it grew. And actually, Negro Health Week was around and was adopted by the U.S. government, similar to uh, Negro History Week, which became Black History Week, which became Black History Month, which, again, it was adopted and, and whatever, signed off on by, I believe, was it Lyndon Johnson? And so Negro Health Week was really taken under, there was actually a, for those of you who don't know, under Health and Human Services, there's an Office of Minority Health, there used to be an Office of Negro, which was specifically focused on the health of the black population. And that went away.
same time that the, the Negro Health Week did, which was in 1950. Uh, but I like to say that, you know, the same principles apply. We need to continue to, just like we talked about with Black History Month, we need to continue to educate ourselves about our health because our health is our wealth. And we, we've talked on the show about economics. And so be aware, stay educated on how you can make sure that you are healthy and wealthy and wise. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, so, Power. <laughs> since we talked about Tuskegee, I, I don't have, I mean, this, this guy is, everyone does know about this guy. Um, he, he made over 300 useful uses of the peanut. But since we mentioned Tuskegee, I just want to shout out to George Washington Carver um, because we can't talk about Tuskegee without talking about, you know, he's probably one of the most prominent black scientists of the, of the 20th century. So I just wanted to mention him there. But I did want to parlay into another doctor that some people may not know about, but most people probably do. But the first open heart surgeon was Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. And in 19, what year was it? 1893, he had the first successful open heart surgeon on a, a victim who was stabbed in the chest. And 51 days later, that person walked out of the hospital, which before that time would not have been possible because no one had successfully performed open heart surgery before. So that's a, maybe, maybe some people know about that, but I thought it was worth mentioning that Dr. He that Daniel Hale Williams was the first successful open heart surgeon. Now, was he, and I'm going to ask this, I don't know the answer to this, who was the one in the movie, and this is bad, that had most definitely? Do you remember that one? You asked me about movies. Who was the one in the movie that what? It was about actually transplant surgery. Okay. Something the Lord made it was called. So actually, it was, yes, yeah, so I just looked it up. His name was Vivian Thomas. Okay. And they pioneered modern heart surgery. So Vivian Thomas, I think, was a protege of Daniel Hale Williams. Okay. Well, I like um, how we... And, and Vivian Thomas Vivian Thomas once said that of all of all the things Daniel Hale Williams did, his greatest pride was that directly or indirectly, he had a hand in making most of the outstanding Negro surgeons of the then current generation. So not only was he a successful surgeon, he also was a, a great mentor to other to other black physicians. Okay. All right. Well I think we should uh that needs to be, by the way, I'm gonna update that in the Wikipedia. <laughs> All right. So the last thing I want to do is I have to give a shout out. We were we would I I've I've talked about dance. I've talked about dance and music. And we have to give a shout out to the black folks that originated the hip hop movement. Okay. So, and as Ooh. someone who comes from Harlem, New York, so Ooh. see, here, this is your chance to get right in there. Ooh. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't discuss this with somebody from Harlem. I mean, <laughs> I just need to take a back seat and let you, no. let you give us a little history well, lesson it on is, it. Is, it is something that everyone has benefited from. And I, th I would say even those that have protested against it have nodded their head once or twice <laughs> to something that has either a hip-hop song or something that has been influenced by hip-hop. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into because the, the history of hip-hop, maybe we should have a show on this, but there, there are lots of good movies and, and um, Netflix has a few documentaries. And, and really, I mean, because it had an evolution, right? 
I mean, it was DJs first and really just starting to mess around and, you know, then people coming up and freestyling to these sort of innovative things that the DJs were doing. And this was happening at, at the parties, which is a, an integral part of who we are from a black cultural perspective. We talked about dance. We talked about music. Those are things that are in our body memory whether it's playing music, um, moving to music, et cetera. So that is something to be celebrated. And it is actually part of who we are in celebration. You'll see us, it, it just, it, it comes out when we are, especially feeling that joy. So I have to shout out to, I'm just going to, that's going to be another one of my sort of blanket statements because, and, and so that's a perfect way to celebrate. You can celebrate Black History Month by, you know, checking out one of those documentaries, supporting some of the lesser-known folks that originated the movement, really. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, proud to be a Harlem girl. I'm not going to drop no names, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have So is, is it, is it, is it faux pas for you to drop names? Cause, <laughs> so I'm from New Orleans, so I could, can I drop a few names of the drop people I heard of? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Go so ahead. you won't, you won't be getting nobody <laughs> calling you saying you said such and such, but you didn't say such and such. <laughs> So I just have to, I mean, I, I was on the outside looking in down, you know, in New Orleans, looking at this thing happening up in New York. But I was just amazed by the sounds from African Bombada, DJ Cool Hurt, Grandmaster Flash, Melly Mel, Curtis Blow. And you're right. I can't keep naming names because it's too many. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, obviously it had an impact on my life. And I think it impacted a lot of people's lives. And even from a crossover perspective, the Sugar Hill Gang, and, you know, I mean, so there's just so much to talk about in terms of the evolution and how it got to where it is today, where there's just, I mean, you know, there's there's certain popularized versions of it, but there are so many branches. Right, um, right, right. That, um, that lend themselves to, to the, the, the sort of umbrella of hip-hop um, and certainly rap. And, and, you know, you look at where it sprung up in foreign countries and you hear, you know, rap in languages and it's just right. I mean it's just amazing so yeah. right yeah one of my best experiences was taking a trip to Germany and walking into a club and and uh they were playing hip-hop music it just blew it just blew my <laughs> mind uh, people who couldn't speak English but they knew those lyrics somehow <laughs> some way but anyway good stuff good stuff I don't know you know I don't have anything to, to top that I mean I think we we celebrate Black History Month Black Liberation Month well, let's do the did you know on that because I do okay, think people okay. need to know, right? So we talked about Negro History Week going to Black History Week, going to Black History Month. And then in 1980, there were a group of African-American scholars and activists connected to People's College who argued that the focus of the month should be more on, on activism. And I'm sure many people can relate to that today because, you know, this is what we're living right now. And that it should be on, the focus should be on igniting and reigniting the struggles for full equality and consistent democracy for black Americans. And so People's College advocated rechristening the month from Black History Month to Black Liberation Month and move that focus again from the passive study of history, as they put it, to liberation. And by that, they meant the active civic engagement of black Americans and their allies in the quest for a more just American society. 
Well, that sounds like you just that you just gave the call to action right there. Can you just repeat <laughs> that last part? And I, I think we can wrap after that. So, and and Jack and I were just talking about this. Things are things are heating up in the political arena. Uh, there is additional backlash more in the in the halls of of um, some of the legislatures. But it is really important more than ever that we take an active role in the civic life of our local politics and really band together with our allies in the quote is the quest for a just American society. The quest for a just American society. Yes. I like that. So I think that's a wrap. No stupid <laughs> questions. No stupid questions. Happy Thank Black you, everybody. History Month, Black Liberation Month, all that. You can ask any question that you want or don't ask no stupid ass questions. <laughs> <laughs>